Filmmakers, it's time to use Soldo. Soldo is a payment solution that replaces petty cash given to employees and production assistants when in prep, on set or in post-production. Soldo is a multi-user expense account that helps you control business spending. You can give Soldo cards to some or every employee, to entire teams or even contractors instantly. Transfer funds to all card holders for free. Soldo.com. Listen for more info in today's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 260 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between, how to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today on the show, we have the very fantastic Lauren Hadaway. Now, she has just written and directed her debut film, The Novice, which is about a college freshman who joins a university rowing team and undertakes an obsessive physical and psychological journey to make it to the top, uh, no matter the cost. Uh, it is similar to Whiplash or Black Swan. It is fantastically performed by Isabel Furman and Amy Forsyth uh, and Delone as well. It is, the cast are amazing. And Lauren has smashed her feature film debut out of the water. Literally, because it's a rowing boat on the water. See what I did there. Um, But to get to making her debut feature, what was Lauren doing? She was a dialogue ADR or a supervising ADR editor. And she worked with the likes of Quentin Tarantino and Damien Chazelle, just to name a few. Some of the films she has worked on are Jack the Giant Slayer, Pacific Rim, Riddick, Whiplash, obviously, Transformers, Unbroken for Angelina Jolie, Selma. These are Oscar-winning movies. Southpaw, The Hateful Eight, Warcraft, The Conjuring 2, Underworld Blood Wars, and Zack Snyder's Justice League, as well as Army of the Dead, which is out now as well. She is a superstar. She is brilliant. She's so insightful and she gave you and me so much uh, knowledge and information about what she learned making her debut film. She also talks about her work as a dialogue editor and a supervising ADR editor as well. It's fascinating. She also talks about her writing process, why she wanted to write and how writing is rewriting. She also talks about why she wanted to be a director because she's got a very successful career. Why direct? It's bloody hard, but she's absolutely proved why she should do this. She talks about why you can get embarrassed to say you're a writer or director and how we need to get over it. She also chats about her time with Tarantino and what she learned in the sound edit. And we talk about marketing and how you have to differentiate yourself from others, which I think is absolutely vital. Don't just be like everyone else. Don't just put the same stuff out. What makes you stand out? What makes you different? What makes you, you? She talks about why film is vital for everyone, how she got it funded, and why a lookbook or vision deck worked for her. We also talk about the heartbreak of filmmaking as well, but hey, I didn't want to go into that there because I wanted to keep this upbeat. This is brilliant. You're going to love this. I love chatting to Lauren. She's a superstar in the making. She's funny. She's brilliant. And I can see why her film has done so well. The Novice is out on VOD pretty much everywhere on Apple, Amazon, Google Play, uh, YouTube, Vudu, DirecTV, Spectrum, all the usual places you can find this movie. I'm trying to work out where it is in the UK at the moment. And as soon as I do, I'll let you know. But for now, seek this movie out. I loved it. It's fucking brilliant. It really gets into the mindset and the soul of a a wannabe rower. Someone who is up against it. Someone who is not necessarily doing it to prove a point to anyone but herself. Uh, It is outstanding. Outstanding performances. So do go watch it if you can. So, last week, myself and Matthew Butlerheart and Tori Butlerheart sat down with the wonderful Sir Ian McKellen. And we recorded the conversation for the podcast for you wonderful listeners. That is Sir Ian McKellen on this podcast very soon. It won't be next week because Confession is out next week. Our hosts, Lucinda Rhodes, Takra and Andrew Rogers' film, which was directed by Paul Beaton, 
is out on Tuesday next week, the 31st. So we'll be doing that. So I might drop the Ian McKellen, sorry, Sir Ian McKellen episode the following Tuesday. We talked all about his career, acting, what it's like on set. And Matthew and Tori were amazing as well. So thank you so much for setting that up. Also coming up very soon is the Peter Dinklage episode because Serrano got pushed back. Can't wait for that. And our latest blog is out. We do a blog constantly for the podcast. So if you haven't seen that yet, go to thefilmmakerspodcast.com and search for the blogs in there. And it gives you a rundown and some really cool information about filmmaking tips and tricks. But this week, uh, the wonderful Hugh has done an onset jargon. So if you're wondering what certain jargon means, like best boy or key grip, if you want to know, go to the blog now. Link to that is in the show notes. It's brilliant. It's really cool. Thank you, Hugh, for doing that. If you want to write a blog for us on filmmaking, on your experiences of making a short film, or experiences of making anything, and you just want to write on our blog, then the offer is open. Get in touch with us at thefilmmakerspodcast at gmail.com. Come join us. Be part of the team. Speaking of which, our Patreon is happening regularly. There's much more behind the scenes on there and we're dropping many more clips. That is happening right now. So if you fancy joining us on our Patreon, the link to that is in the show notes. And we do the wrap-up. It's our filmmaking news is curated just for you by us and it saves you trawling through all the trades all the time we put what we think is the best stuff for you and it's free so if you fancy that sign up like i say it's free you get that into your inbox every sunday you can look at it choose to or not but there's some amazing stuff on there because it's stuff that's happening in the industry that you should know about right let's get to today's episode this is me giles alderson talking to the fantastic Lauren Hadaway, all about her movie, The Novice. Oh, you're going to love this one. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey! What's up? How are you? You all right? Is everything good at the moment? Yeah, I'm good. I've been in a writing K-hole here in Paris. Um, so uh, taking a step back to go back into the novice land for a bit. And how is that writing K-hole going? K-hole. <laughs> writing K-hole. Because I like to write with other people. I like to bounce ideas. That's that's me. That's what I like. I get lost on my own. Uh, you, you seem like you're okay on your own when you're writing. You don't seem like you get... Like say phased, you can just power through it because it can be tough. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I get like totally in my head. I don't think about anything else. I'm in the shower. I'm thinking about what I'm writing. I'm writing all day. I'm doing my thing. But of course, I, what I like to do and what I've been doing on this thing that I've been writing is send off, you know, I basically rewrote half the, the script that I'm working on, sent off those pages to the producer to kind of read and see how they're working, get some feedback. And then it just kind of spurs ideas. So I don't know if I'd like writing with people so much. Never say never. I haven't done it, but I I need mm. that. You, you got to have someone to bounce off to tell you you did something fucking stupid. Because, you know, you the dream is a writer. You send something off and you want them to reply to you like, wow, this is perfect. You don't need to change a thing. Totally. And that, it's the dream. Just doesn't happen. <laughs> and once you, you get over that beat of like wanting to just just end it all and like jump off uh, your, your fifth floor balcony, um, then everything clicks again. And then you feel motivated again and then you dive back in again. Um, and so it's been that kind of process the past two weeks since I got back, yeah. Right. And uh, what is your process? Do you like to beat everything out? Do you like to get a treatment set up first, everything beat out, or do you just hack straight into it? I mean, it's varying now because now that I've, I've, I've signed with CAA and doing some stuff for other people, you know, it requires pitching things out a little bit more. But mm. my sort of pass with, with the novice, with this thing I'm writing, with other things, I tend to do a vomit pass. Like, usually in three weeks, I just in the k-hole k-hole you know whatever you want <laughs> that, yeah. in that hole just going i spit it all out get it on the page and then then you kind of discover the story usually along the way and the characters along the way and for me the real writing i think is rewriting and um mm. usually you know I, I have moments where i stop and sure beat out like try and figure out what is the halfway point I think in like four acts usually and, and try and figure out those big points. Um, but it's constantly evolving. I can't stand outlining things 
to, to the ad nauseum. Like people talk about having note cards and shit. I'm like, that's not for me. I can't do it. I've tried it. Right. Not my thing. You mm-hmm. know, I like, I like a little free flow. You got to have the magic. All of my best scenes I've ever written have just come up in a manic moment of writing. And it just like pops in your head and you just fucking go. And you can't get that if you're obsessing over an outline. That's so true. That is so true. We can get bogged down in writing and all the books and we think we have to hit beats by certain points. And maybe down the line when we're delivering, we're doing those, but maybe. But when we're just trying to get an idea out and get it to a mate that you hope says, that's the best thing I've ever read. Yeah, you just want to get through it. And I love that. I like I like to be free form as well. And I think it's really important. Our listeners know that you, there's no one set way, whatever works for you, right? Whatever you feel best in. Is that something you've kind of always, you know, taught yourself to write because obviously you come from a sound background adr background you come from that world you know the writing side of it again it's it's why it's very different did you sort of teach yourself did you learn that way yeah i mean i think growing up if you would ask me when i was 10 years old what i want to be when i grew up it would have been a quote-unquote author you know i've always been Mm -hmm. writing stories of some kind no real structure or real idea what i was doing other than being lost in that kind of fantasy land but um when i and and then i saw kill bill when i was 15 and i was like i want to be a fucking director and i wasn't thinking about writing screenplays really in that way but then went to college and, and was kind of overwhelmed with with everything there university i don't in college france is a, a junior high so i don't know what it is in the uk but mm-hmm. went to um went there and and didn't think that i could compete against all these other dudes and all their fancy equipment and they're all from big cities and this and that when i got to college i fell into post-production and editing specifically which i think is an extension of the writing process in a lot of ways which is probably why i gravitated Mm -hmm. towards it um but didn't really start writing i I was writing novels and things quite honestly and i thought that i would do um i thought that i would be you know a sound person by day and maybe eventually publish a novel maybe um, and I have novels and drawers that, that no one will ever read. I've looked up queering. I did that whole thing. And there's probably a period when I moved to LA. I moved to LA in 2012. Okay. And probably from 2012 to 2016, when I actually made the, the, the five-year goal to transition into writing and directing. Yeah, I was reading tons of mm-hmm. books on writing, reading tons of screenplays, watching the interviews, doing all that. Um, and in hindsight, and I was I was trying to get things out at the time and thinking like oh, this is I, whatever I'm writing right now is fucking amazing. But in <laughs> hindsight, that was definitely I think kind of my screenwriting college. I guess you could say was like, like those four years of just obsessing over that. So when I wasn't working, I wasn't working a lot when I first started in sound because you know I'm mm. starting out. Um, so I had a lot of time rotting out of Starbucks. Even I even wrote at the Starbucks. Like I didn't even write at like a joint. classy <laughs> you know little vegan yeah, cafe. No, I, I wasn't even proper. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't even proper LA. It was a total like Texas hillbilly, right? In Starbucks. Love it. Um, but um, no, I think I think all of that probably soaked in in some regard. But it wasn't, I think, until The Novice, which I wrote the first draft, July 2017, okay. that I, you know, when you send things to people too, people are generally polite with their notes. Um, but you don't realize until you get enthusiastic feedback, the difference. So it was like with the novice was the first time I sent it to someone. And I realized the difference between polite, positive feedback and enthusiastic, yes. right? positive feedback. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, oh, this, this is what I've been after. And so then kind of, you know, everything clicked from that point. Amazing. And you actually made the short film of the novice, right? Called, is that correct from my uh, research? Um, Kinda, Kinda. Okay. yeah. It's on. It's on my IMDb. <laughs> um, yeah. So what that is is I. Uh 2017, I, I kind of tentatively sent the script out to like the one friend who knew I was writing. I put it on the blacklist at the time because I was trying to get unbiased feedback. I was not an out quote unquote writer. Like I was because it's fucking embarrassing. You know, you're in L.A. You're like you have a, I had a pretty good career going for me and to, to tell people like I want to be a writer director. It's humiliating. So I wasn't telling people what I was doing and I wanted this kind of unbiased third party feedback. But in that time, too, it was imagining a novice much more like even lower budget than it, than it ended up being um, and was thinking about, I knew shooting on the water mm-hmm. would be a nightmare. So wanted to test out using drones and seeing if you could use those to like avoid having to get a follow boat, whatever. I didn't have a lot of production experience. I'm not coming into directing from doing tons of short films mm-hmm. and music videos and commercials. I don't have any of that. 
Um, so I figured it'd be good practice. So wrote this like three minute, what I consider like a mood vignette. There's not any dialogue really or anything. Um, it is rowing related, but has absolutely nothing to do with the novice. It's just kind of this girl in the water basically and, and <laughs> moody and, and yeah, uh, all those and things. But, um, and, yeah. And all that. Yeah. And just use, and just played mm. with drones and, um, I realized, no, these will not work for the, what we need, but I did get some cool shot ideas out of that and wasn't really intended for festivals mm -hmm. or anything more for when we were going out to investors, just one more thing to add to the package. So you got the script and I made this really extensive mm -hmm. lookbook. Um, then you've got this little mood vignette to be like, well, she's not, she's not done nothing. I mean, here you go. Here's something. No idea if it made a difference or not, but here we are. And then the so. novice is incredible. I was blown away by it. And the fact that it's your debut movie and the fact that you haven't made tons of shorts, honestly, it's beautiful. You've made an incredible film. It's so good. Uh, I can see your influences from the sound side of it that a lot of people do forget about when making a film. And you, it, it, they were all in there. All this kind of the, the feelings, the voiceovers, the bits in the head, the way you cut those bits together as well. Just fantastic. Um, before we get onto the novice, I want to find out about how you actually started in sound and that whole world, re-recording mixer, supervising sound, assistant dialogue, editor, because that's a fascinating world we don't often talk about um, generally as filmmakers, but also on this podcast. And you've worked with some, you know, on some amazing films, Conjuring 2. You've worked with Tarantino, who you said kind of wanted to get you into writing and directing a minute ago as well. How did you get into mm -hmm. that world in the first place? Uh, especially if you always wanted to write and direct, what drove you to that side of filmmaking? Well, I kind of gave up on my outer self, gave up on writing and directing when I was freshman in college, when I was hit with what we now call mm -hmm. imposter syndrome. But but I loved post. Then I discovered sound in college through, you know, professors showed this clip of a video where these students in another class of his took all the sound out of a, um, a clip and replaced it. And I thought that mm -hmm. was so fucking cool. I had never thought about sound before that moment, seeing like the endless kind of possibility abilities of creation, even going from scratch, you can build an entire world. Um, and so I got obsessed with it uh, in college and that kind of became my thing in my, in my school and, and no one else is really doing sound. So it's not like I had a lot of competition <laughs> in that regard. You could regard. be the best, even if um, you were the worst. <laughs> yeah. And no, and no one, yeah, I, I was sure. the go-to. So, and then I, um, I wanted to work, I actually had an internship at a, um, uh, like a commercial radio house in Dallas and was trying to get a job there, an assistant sound job because someone got pregnant, left, so her spot was open. And I didn't mm -hmm. get it. And in hindsight, it's the best thing that okay. never happened to me. But at the time, I was devastated. And however, I had another internship that I had done in college. And this company was a edit reality TV uh, editing shows. They needed a new editor, mm -hmm. a video editor. And so I went and worked there, which ended up being the best thing that accidentally kind of happened. Because, you know, 21, 22, right out of college, had a pretty decent job for someone sure. going to film school, working on stuff that, you know, is on TV. But the thing that ended up being really kind of fortuitous, fortuitous that I had no idea was even happening was I was editing stuff that was on TV. Mm. Therefore, when I decided to move to LA, I already had all the union hours that I needed. Yes. Right. So I decided I rose up pretty quickly there and, and was, you know, had half the episodes for a show within a couple months and then kind of realized like this is the the top. This is the most I'm gonna do in Dallas. And um, had never even thought about moving to LA, honestly, until a friend of mine who actually the producer, one of the producers on Novice was like, Lauren, you should move to LA. And I was like, oh, fuck, now I'm not moving to LA. But then the next day I was like, all right, I'm going to move to LA. How do <laughs> I do this? Day, What's the plan? <laughs> what was the change? What do you think the change was? I think, you know, people are defensive. It's, it's like the same thing when, when I get feedback on my script and I'm like, fuck you. And then the next day I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, actually. <laughs> yes, da, da, da. So true. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just that moment of, of having to, to kind of accept it. But um, I, I went to basically spend six months kind of moonlighting at that point, calling people in L.A., researching, getting contacts, just having like getting advice from people. Uh, and you kind of everyone tells you the same thing, which which was like, call me when you get out here and in the union, kid, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. not thinking one or both those things are unlikely to happen. Um, but, you know, six months later, I moved to L.A. And my first day out there, I got into the union and literally in the parking lot of the union building, <laughs> I called up this chick 
And I was like, guess what? I'm like, I'm in the union. I'm in LA. How about that interview you promised me? Yeah. So and, out. <laughs> and she was a little bit like, uh, uh, okay. I mean, to her word though, she got me in the building the next week. And that was at um, Sound Deluxe, which wow. is, doesn't exist anymore. But that's a place that I had kind of gravitated towards because you mentioned Tarantino. Mm -hmm. uh, I think any kind of up and coming filmmaker or, or person working in the industry is, probably feels this. It's like, there's not a clear path for anything. Like, how do you do it? Had no idea what I was doing or where to start. Um, so I set a goal to work on a Tarantino film because he's my favorite director, which Indeed. seemed, yeah. seemed uh, ridiculous and then like not, never in a million years going to happen. But, you know, you got to have a fucking North Star. You really do. Yep. And um, and he, so I kind of worked backwards. Like, who does the sound for his films? It was this guy, Wiley Stateman. I was like, okay, well, where does he work? He works at Sound Deluxe. And I'm like, okay, who can I contact at Sound Deluxe? And there were two emails on their website. And one of those emails was was this uh, woman, Becky Sullivan, who I had emailed and, and uh, called up. And she's the one who kind of got me in the door. And so I spent the next couple of years uh, really working backwards. And because Becky, she did ADR and dialogue because that's what she did. And she was the one giving me, you know, a chance. I kind of got more into that. And I think, too, um, you know, getting into sound effects is what I wanted to do in sound design. But maybe, again, in a way, it's, it's good it didn't happen that way because... Because I was doing dialogue and ADR, and ADR for for anyone who doesn't know is is like dubbing where the actors come in after the movie's been shot. They have to re-record the lines because noise, or if it's a superhero movie, they have to rewrite the entire script over the shoulder. <laughs> indie, um, those oh, kind of things. Indie, yes. <laughs> it, it's just so, but that ended up being a really great education because. As I moved up the ranks, and I actually did work with Tarantino, my first job as an ADR supervisor was um, on The Hateful Eight. And my first ever recording Amazing. session Amazing. was with Quentin Tarantino to record the voiceover for The Hateful Eight. I was like 25. Were you, sh were you shitting yourself? I was fucking dying. I'd set this goal when I was 15 and 10 yeah. years later. It's happening. Here I am in this room, like shaking, trembling, like like a whatever, you know? And, and I hear him coming in from the background. I'm like, oh my God. Hey, here happening? I am. I'm here, everyone. And <laughs> he shows up and I'm like, holy fuck, fuck this is it. And then, yeah. you know, being on the mix stage with him too. And then from that point in my career, that was kind of my big, quote unquote, break, I think. And then from there, I was getting hired on more and more projects, bigger projects, bigger roles, more time on the ADR stage, more time working directly with actors. Like mm. no one else in sound, yeah, cutting explosions and doing the fires and, you know, all that shit is car chases and Fast and Furious, amazing, fun stuff, really creative. But I got to be on the mix stage with directors, with editors, with producers. Mm -hmm. I got to hear about all the problems. I got to see, you know, how the film changed from the, the four hour assembly down to whatever ended up in theaters, scenes that are cut out, that are reworked, moved around, hearing dialogue, movie dialogue, you know, a hundred times for every scene, mm -hmm. um, seeing what's being reshot, and then being on the ADR stage, watching directors interact with actors. Um, lots of times directors can't be there because... Either they don't want to, no one, everyone hates fucking ADR, including me. Um, <laughs> either they can't be there because they're doing a million other things or they don't want to be there or whatever. So a lot of times it was me working with the actor, having to get what the film needed. And me, you know, 26, 27 years old, having to tell someone, having to tell Amy Adams or Ben Affleck or whoever, like, I need you to do this. And yeah. this is why. And can you do another one? And these kind of things. And wow, so, I so think you're directing already at that point, technically. Even in a way, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you are. It's wow. not the sexy, uh, you know, camera, this and that and whatever. And I think mm -hmm. the other thing, too, the, the reason that I stride, uh, like, or shied away from, from directing for so long was because I care about visuals and I want things to look good, but it's never really done it for me in a way. And I think that most... Um, like, I, I can't get nerdy over it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and I, a lot of first-time directors, they come in from the visual sphere in whatever way, or they're nerdy about cameras, or, or like, the visual effects, and, like, you know, the light, and they're thinking about all these things, and I could never really get into it. And I think I thought for a long time, well, because I don't know, I don't know about cameras, I don't know about lenses, I don't know all this shit, I can't possibly be a director. But then seeing all of this, this sort of behind the scenes, and then also realizing... Um, the one thing I took away from my business degree that I did, which is marketing, I double majored in business because I thought I'd never work in film. The one thing about marketing is it's not about being the best or the fastest or the cheapest or whatever. Marketing is about how do you differentiate yourself from everybody else, right? So for me, I realized, okay, maybe this is actually good that I'm coming in from this other world. I have a different point of view. I can bring something else to this that other 
you know, the 90% of, of wannabe directors coming into it aren't going to approach it as. Mm-hmm. Um, and then too, just kind of seeing, I think, you know, the other thing, me coming from a small Texas town, I imagine everyone working in quote unquote Hollywood uh, is brilliant and a genius and like creative is you can't possibly compete. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, see, you see how the sausage is made <laughs> yes. you see behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And there are some, some brilliant people, but for the most part, People are just good, hardworking people who they've been doing it for a while. Maybe they had a lucky break, whatever. And then there's some real fucking idiots, frankly, who are working at a pretty high level. And you're like, you know what? If this guy is in the room right now, who's why the fuck can't I do it, right? So all of right. these things kind of congealed. Um, and then I got hired on uh, Justice League when yeah. I was 26, 27, which for me is a hu- huge job. You know, the film, I know it's got a whole history. I've worked on every iteration of that film, including the Snyder Cut, but... Um, it was a huge wow. job at the time, and uh, that kind of gave me the confidence at that point. It was November 2016. I was in a parking lot, actually, and I said, I'm going to transition to writing and directing within five years. So five years, one month later, The Novice came out. <laughs> Amazing. Boom, did it. Boom. Set those goals, you know. You set those goals, and two huge goals you set for yourself, you did. Because a lot of people say, right, I'm going to be a writer-director. Oh, I'm going to be a director. Or I'm going to be a producer. But it's getting that step it's getting it done and finding an in is one of the hardest things and you found your in your in was right okay well i know how the mechanics of a film work i understand the back end of it and people just seem to think sometimes oh i can just go be a right director producer i can just go do it and it's like no no you've got to think what's your way in it's a really difficult process you can't just go do it um and you've really got to think about it and i love having goals and you've set your goals brilliantly and I, I think that's really clever that you did that did you always know it was going to be the novice had you written other projects that you thought might be your first before that one or was it always i i want to set it in this psychological world in this girl's head at university and in similar ways to what you were doing with your career as well it's like how do i break through these barriers of all these people who might be perceived as better than me and having to push harder than anyone else which is you know what she does in the novice yeah i mean i had written i guess one script in college i don't even know where it's i'm sure it's absolutely fucking horrendous and then i wrote list it's winning (laughs) definitely and then i wrote one more uh thing probably 2013 2014 um also i'm sure extremely horrendous and everything else besides that i had been really um focusing on again novels and drawers but yeah when i set this goal it's like you said a lot of people the thing about la that i most people in la probably familiar with a lot of people talk but they don't really do the walk and Mm so for me when i set this goal i I immediately got very active and sort of planning what i was going to do and being maybe a little bit analytical overly analytical about it and i started researching you know my favorite directors, how they started their first films, the scope, the scale, reading tons of articles and interviews and, you know, everything I could trying to soak it up and figure it out. And um, the, the thing that I came away with was this cliche advice of, you know, write what you know and write the story that only you can tell. And I was a collegiate rower. I did four years of it. It was a hugely, I was obsessed with it. I mean, we were rowing 20 hours a week on top of everything else that I was doing. And my senior year of rowing really felt like survival because I, again, 20 hours a week, I was taking 18 hours. I was doing an internship. I was working. I was very active in the film club. Um, I was volunteering. It was all this stuff. I was just fucking exhausted and waking mm-hmm. up for four years at five in the morning. Yeah. So I thought like, and, and rowing is not a sport that's really been explored on screen for a variety of reasons. And mm-hmm. except for the scene in the social network, like mm-hmm. I had never seen anything else that really captured what to me it felt like to, to have gone through that experience. And I actually remember getting my first blacklist review back. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, yeah. In the UK, actually, I was in the UK too. It was like, a, uh-huh. it was a seven, which for me was like a... which is a big deal for me. Um, Very good. And so that kind of gave me the confidence. Okay. And and in terms of deciding to direct it too, I remember I had a meeting, my friend had introduced me to his kind of friend slash manager, just to like a general to chat. And he'd asked me, what do you want to do with this? Do you want to, you want to write it? You want to sell it? You want whatever? And I was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I fucking knew in my gut. I wanted to make it, but yeah. But you were scared was, to say, I want to direct it, yeah, right? Yeah, and he's like, well, you need to figure that out. And mm-hmm. when he said that, I was like, well, fuck, I'm fucking doing this. And then... Yeah. The next yes. day you went, I'm fucking doing this, right? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably, <your> yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it is it is really scary to, to own stuff and to be upfront. I mean, and there's also a fine line with being delusional and being kind of focused and, and 
stern about what you want to do. So I think it was just trying to walk that. But yeah, I mean, it was a gradual process. Amazing. Do you want to give a little pitch as to what the film is? And we'll drop the trailer in. Uh, the Novice. It is a, a story of an obsessive collegiate rower who uh, climbs the, the ranks of her college's team. It's a little bit like um, Whiplash, Black Swan. It's been kind of described as what's set in the rowing world. I presume you guys are all here for the Wellington Novice Rowing Program. Traditionally very hard to move up to varsity, but in the meantime, I think we should learn how to row. Legs first. Body, legs, arm. body, arms, arm, body, legs. And then yesterday, I just woke up and I had this epiphany. Like, everybody What are you looking at? See what time I have to get to make varsity. 759 seems doable. I mean, starting varsity in two sports in high school. You're like the best novice out of all of us. Yeah, I mean, like, you're like the best novice. I mean, you're like the best novice out of all of us. The best novice. You're natural. 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 You're natural.
So this film is very sort of weird and stylistic, and it's not like an av- if you're thinking it's going to be an average inspirational sports film. It's not. It's dark. It's fucking weird. It gets trippy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the weird stuff, though, is to get you in the head of this character and how it feels and really framing the the story of her and the sport, almost like a love story very loosely. And it starts as the initial initial attraction, the clunky beginnings, like the, the making love, you know, that's 500 frames a second scene. Mm-hmm. I was like, Isabel, I'm going to objectify the fuck out of you in this scene, shooting it very kind of 90s, you know, almost erotic, like she's having sex with a rowing machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the falling in love and the, the bliss of that and the beauty of that and the beauty of rowing. And then the slow toxic descent when everything is just fucking crumbling. And so wanting to, to evoke that headspace and that internal drive really dictated um, these choices. Oh, we're playing a new jingle, which means it's a new section on the Filmmakers Podcast where we talk to our listeners. Uh, they can ask any question they like. And this week we have on uh, the fantastic Teddy. Uh, Teddy, hello. Welcome. Hello. Uh, am I speaking with Gilles Maria Alderson? It's Giles Alderson. No one uses my middle name, but yes, uh, you are uh, talking to Giles uh, from the Filmmakers Podcast. Hello. Happy to meet you. I'm a big fan of your show. I was wondering because I have a question. Mm. Um, I'm an accountant and I want to make films, but wow. I often don't have the time to develop ideas or something. So I wanted to ask you because you you did so many films in the in, in the last year, right? You did The Strange Enough Bad, you did Voice of War, you did the three day billionaire thing. Millionaire. And yeah, um, numbers, huh? <laughs> 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 I was mixing them up. Um, that's why I want to get into film. Or oh, my chef wants me to get into film. Your um, chef? My boss, not the chef. Chef in German. <laughs> in German, chef is boss. Whatever. Um, you, you Brits wouldn't get that. Um, <laughs> Wow. Well, thank you for your, for your question. You want to know how to get info. Interestingly, you sound very much like Toby Vees, who's often on this show as a, a, a host. Oh, that can't be. I don't think I sound like this dickhead. Well, I love Toby. I think he's brilliant. Well, to answer your question then, since we've got, you know, past that bit, um, it's very difficult. You've got to juggle a, a lot when you're making films, especially when you're a producer or you're the director. Uh, it isn't easy. But as you're an accountant, I imagine that you use Soldo, right? Nine. Sounds interesting, though. Yes, it is. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I use it all the time. It's a payment solution uh, that replaces petty cash given to employees and production assistants when in prep on set or in post-production. Anyone can use it. It's fantastic. Uh, Thank you. I will take your advice into account. Thank you so much. Thank you. So yeah, basically Soldo, if you don't know, is a fantastic platform for the independent filmmaker. It's a multi-user expense account and it helps you control business spending. Means you can give your Soldo cards to some or every employee. Uh, So yeah, link to that is in the show notes. It is soldo.com and this was clearly not an advert. Let's get back to the show. Did you get images for like your lookbook? You mentioned earlier you got kind of a lookbook. Were you taking images from other films? Were you devising images yourself? Uh, were you, like say, you'd got the row, your short to show uh, as some examples, but were you already showing other examples as well in your pitch meetings when you went along with your producers, Kevin, uh, Zach and Ryan, uh, along to your pitch meetings or sending it to them? That'd be really interesting. You know, I think if I'm being honest, I think the lookbook had more influence than anything else getting this film people to pay attention to it uh, okay. even more than you know the the little mood vignette perhaps mm-hmm. even more than the script i don't know but the lookbook was i tried to make something you know i've seen tons of these since then i hadn't really seen a lot at the time and the ones i would look at seemed so boring and kind of bland and yeah they just you just paste the image from a movie and you have yeah. a little text and da, da, da. i'm like well fuck that what i want is i want the f- the the lookbook to evoke what the film is going to be i want someone to look at it and feel how they're going to feel watching the movie so i made this um it's basically like a like a notebook journal as if Alex Dahl, as if the main character had made the lookbook herself. And so oh, wow. the pages get really weird. And I tried to capture the, the I wanted to, to capture the juxtaposition I wanted to do between kind of the cold, icy exteriors and the, the sort of uh, claustrophobic, manic kind of uh, grimy, green, yellow interiors. So had these like stark white, very clean, crisp pages with these very um, fucked up kind of collage writing all over like Joker scribbly type shit, cutting out as if she, you know, had got a magazine and cut out photos and paste them and done things and was taking notes and 
um, really did that. So there weren't really, I don't think there was actually any stills from other films except for using, you know, this character, how it, how about it could be so-and-so and and you Mm -hmm. have a picture of the the person, but no, there weren't, I didn't have any of that. It was just, um, random shots of, of any kind of photo that really captured it and, and, and putting it in such a way that evoked the style of the film itself. I love that. See, that evoked it for me as well when you were describing it. I was like, I could visualise your lookbook with that. And I thought it's such a clever idea. I I suppose you sometimes have to be quite good at Photoshop and bits and pieces like that to get a good lookbook. I didn't use Photoshop on that, I'll say. I only used Photoshop recently on my my latest lookbook and I had to teach myself. So you don't actually need to fucking... Like, don't let that, I'm just going to say, don't let that deter you if you don't know how to use it. Love that. So true. Because people can get bogged down in saying, oh, I can't now move my project forward because I don't know how to make a lookbook because I don't know how to use Photoshop. That's how it should be. I'm not saying that's how it should be. I'm saying that if people want to get their shit done, you've got to get your shit done. Um, And jumping on that, then how did it, obviously you brought on Zach and Ryan, but how did you get the novice to being greenlit? How did you get any kind of money was it meeting with investors? Was it, you know, talking to studios? Just talk us through that little bit, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's such a nebulous fucking process. So mm. <laughs> it's uh, a shit show. Because money, it's like you can have the best script in the world. You can have all the, you can have directed 40 wonderful short films, whatever. Indeed, but yeah. like, you're still a first time feature director. Um, yes. I mean, when Ryan came on, his, I had actually done sound for another indie film that he had produced. And he had a um, producing partner who is EP on this. And so they came on pretty quickly with, um, you know, a certain amount of money. Great. And then from there, uh, we we sent the script out, you know, and everything, all the materials out, did a bunch of people, to the, all the different production agencies, whatever, read it, get passes, have a couple of meetings, had a meeting with uh, H2L. This is where Steve Sems came on, another producer. Mm-hmm. That went really well. And um, they, then they, I mean, a lot of producing, I mean, it's fucking, I don't see everything they're doing but you know then they have connections and they have ideas and they sent the film out to someone and that's where we found another one of our investors and so very quickly we found basically half the budget of what the film ended up being and so i naively thought like wow this is easy like we're gonna be shooting this 2018 like fall 2018 it's gonna happen and then then it was like a year of nothing and we had a couple of leads that took a lot of time and energy and ended up going nowhere being kind of even like really fucking sketch as fuck there's some sketchy shit out there Mm -hmm. um waiting around for things applying to all the labs doing all that uh went to ifp week and met with a bunch of producers and things and Nothing really came out that specifically for this project. So I, I went through that the Alpha screenwriting lab, um, but nothing was happening. And the film had seemed like it was going to go to, there was two or three times where I really truly thought the film was going to happen. And then it didn't fucking happen. And every time that happens, it feels like a heartbreak. And I was over it. And I had gone through, that had ha- just happened and I had gone through a sling of, of romantic breakups too and so i was oh, in this shit. place um 2019 summer 2019 of like fuck the novice it's never happening i had written mm-hmm. a whole this this lesbian comedy that i'm working on now i wrote the first draft back then um in real time as i was going through a break a breakup as one does, as um, one does. <laughs> and that i imagined was going to be my first film and i was like let's make this and then ryan kind of out of nowhere called me like you're going to toronto to a location scout and I was like, is this real? Cause like, yeah, I can't, I can't get my heart broken again. Yeah, I can't do uh, this again. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're going to do it. And they, you know, we worked the budget down, got uh, the investors to pony up a little bit more, but we like totally like way, way, way slashed the budget. And he had worked in Toronto on some commercials. So new producers there. And, and of course, probably most people listening are familiar with tax credits, make the world go round. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, I went to Toronto to location scout. And honestly, for the first few days, I was not even, I was just like, not even there. I was just, I was, I was like, sure. Okay. I'll go here. Yeah. Great. Da, da, da. It took a minute for me to like, believe like, okay, this is real. And then was sent back, uh, went back in, I think September for, for, um, to do pre-production and then all of that. And every day leading up to production, we started shooting October 15th, 2019, every day leading up to that, I was sure like any second it was going to go away. Um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until actually being on set for the first day, 
that I was like, oh, this is real. Now I have to figure this shit out. Um, shit, now I've got to do it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly the same as me for when, before my first feature. I, any minute now, I thought they're just going to pull the plug. Even that first day when I was on set, I thought they're just going to pull the rug. All the execs came up and watched the, you know, in the uh, in the video village. And I thought they're just going to come out and go, yeah, no, 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 you're you're hooked. And even, the, you, and you, you planned it within an inch of its life. You've done everything with it. And you still think that imposter syndrome thing. And it's frightening. It's frightening. But yeah, we just have to fight through it don't we and just go no no I, I can do this I know what I'm doing for me my first week too as white writer director again not coming from production background was water week we had to shoot it first because we were going into winter uh, so like yeah. the first couple days like the first thing we shot was the, the, there's a scene in the middle of the film this beautiful sunrise foggy row that was the very first thing we shot and it went so perfectly and smoothly and was exactly like I had in my head and I was that's, like I'm mint I'm fucking bored for this, this shit easy. yeah this is fucking easy and I was so just that quickly it got got fucking humbled real quick and things yeah. started going wrong um immediately and and by the end of day one we were like a day and a half behind and i by the end of day two we were even further behind we added like two days to water week after a day like fuck and, and adding and that's just our post budget right there you know that's mm -hmm. that's gone and i remember sitting on the we were switching to nights i was sitting on the floor of our, of our these cabins that we were staying at like just catatonic like i I've lost all my investors' money. This is we're never going to finish this film in the next 21 days. I fucking this is the end. And I started researching again, looking at all the directors that I admire, and like did a Google search where you can set the timeline. You know, I set the timeline around their first films. You know, assuming it was relatively recently, and um, mm. I would read any kind of interviews or articles that came out specifically around their first films, like looking for some fucking piece of advice or some kind of like <laughs> guiding light. Like, please, for the love of God, tell me I'm not ruining and going to just fuck my whole yeah. life here. <laughs> and um, then I found this quote from, uh, it was Damien Chazelle actually. And he had, I think it was in the Hollywood Reporter. And he said something, he's like making whiplash felt like, every day felt like walking a tightrope between making something really beautiful and utter crushing disaster. And I was like, Okay, so I'm right where I need to be. Like, hey, yeah. I'm fucking right on track. Like every, there's been ton, probably a thousand directors that come before me and felt exactly like I felt. I've had this fucking moment and they've gone through and made it through okay. And like mm. that totally just shifted my mindset. And I told my my director of photography, Todd, he was feeling just like me. We were like, well, fuck our lives. Um, told him this and it totally changed our energy. And we like, we went to set, set that day fucking rocking out and like ready to go. You know, shit kept going wrong, of course, but of course. Our, our mindset changed. So it was like, we, we had a joke, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Um, so anytime something beautiful happened, it was like, he, the Lord giveth. And we knew that coming around the corner, some shit was going about to go down. And anytime shit was in the can and it felt like the end of the world, we just remind ourselves, we just got to like make it through today, tomorrow, something around the corner. And then it, it happened like that. Honestly, that quote it changed everything for me i'm so pleased yeah because he you know winning oscars and shit you're kind of like well yeah if it goes if he goes through it exactly. and that's what i love about this podcast the amount of people that have come on that i admire respect so hugely and they say the same thing they're like no no it's a shit show i felt like i'm an imposter and i shouldn't be here and you're like you felt that way and as soon as you realize that as a filmmaker you go oh oh it's okay I'm allowed to fuck up we're allowed to fail it's okay just get better at it learn from it and get better well hopefully uh, like in real time as you're making it because absolutely mm, you yeah because you ain't got long you got 21 days so you better fucking pull the plug out now um, speaking of which uh, plug there uh, you're you're filming on water right and you mentioned you did some drone stuff in your uh, your kind of look real if you like for the row how then you, you you said drones weren't really working so how did you get all those shots that beautiful stuff on the water because that must have taken so much planning and time on set well it was a nightmare we did use drones and i did learn one thing from doing that little uh concept is the mm -hmm. i told the actress just do whatever you want we're gonna do some drone shots and she like laid down on the on the boat and like looked up at the sky and i was like holy fuck like yeah. and that actually became this opening shot of the novice like that came from making that that little short oh. um but we used drones in, in regards to that because I knew I wanted to capture those overhead shots to capture the beauty of it. But everything mm -hmm. else aside from those overhead are um, the really, really, really high ones is we had the, you know, a, a follow boat. We had a techno crane on a follow boat. And wow. I had no, like my, again, I'm not coming from production. I had no concept, no real idea of what 
they meant when they were telling me what we were getting and then i walk on set and i see this fucking boat and this giant crane and i'm like what the fuck like this is like a real movie this is real holy fuck fuck i was just imagining some guy with like a camera on his shoulder like and a little fishing boat you know literally someone push holding him as he got pushed further out yeah but no i mean and it was the thing that was a challenge for the first week was no one on the crew aside from myself the director of photography had rode like a month or two freshman year of high school but no one else on the crew knew anything about rowing right so that also becomes something just telling like you can't step here the boats move this way they can't move this quickly like you cannot drive this fast by a boat you're going to swamp it like boats almost got swamped like all these different things were happening and and figuring that out so it was and that's probably why you know a a lot and the weather too i mean it was raining Mm -hmm. and freezing and that's a lot of the issues that came up but um uh, and lightning and all sorts of weather related issues. The city even opened the fucking dam at one point and was like draining oh, the lake and fuck's sake. Um, but especially with the with me and me and Todd figured out like yeah yeah every morning we started having these these meetings just the two of us going exactly through what we needed to tell the story again. So mm-hmm. what shots do we need? Especially with the final race, we shot it over the course of three nights. Um, mm-hmm. We only had time for basically one take of everything that you saw. Uh, so a lot, a lot of the shots you see in one frame in either direction is unusable. I did a lot of creative kind of things in the uh, mapping and, and trying to move things around to make things work. Like if you look at the key frames on some of those shots, it's insane. Um, right. <laughs> but we had, we got exactly, we need this. We need to see the, the boat coming in. We need to see the, Oh, this is what I was going to tell you earlier. You're about, you wish you knew how to storyboard. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. you don't have to be fucking good at it like my producer tried to get me to work with the storyboard artist and i'm like i don't understand like what i'm doing with them i'm just gonna draw i'm just gonna write them like a stick figure so i had stick yeah. figure storyboards do it. yeah and me and todd sit down i drew my stick figures like we need to see the boat coming in here we need to establish mm-hmm. this character looking this way this character is like now passing this character this character is now in front of this character establish like their eye lines so we can cut 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 like got exactly what we knew we needed and then we had to trust when we were shooting like if we got it we got to check it off and move the fuck on because Mm -hmm. and but that was the one scene when we finished that shooting that that was the one scene in the whole film i was like guys i don't know if we got everything we fucking need i don't and the editing on it was an absolute nightmare um Mm -hmm. and but it it it, it's it works you know it works stuff's there everything you need to tell the stories there but it was a lot of creative i mean even doing like i don't know visual effects either but i those shots were there were raining and then now they're dry mm-hmm. i literally just found some random like out overall at times like the camera had accidentally like whipped gone up and just the rain machine was just like accidentally recording it took mm-hmm. a couple bits of seconds of that put it over a shot of where it's they're supposed to be raining it just did the like opacity amazing amazing visual fucking effects and no one i thought like i did camera bumps that i just did in premiere and shit and i was expecting you know someone to come in and like make it work the lightning bolt effect i Mm -hmm. did like all this shit and i'm and no one ever came in and did anything better and i was like this is it and the producer's like well it works so why would we fucking I I think filmmakers sometimes forget they think someone else is going to come in and sort of save it or rescue them or whatever. But what happens is it's you. You're the one who um, has to do it. And as soon as you, again, realise that, you go and don't rely on anyone else. And of course, we have to rely on other people. But sometimes it's just, no, no, don't expect anyone else. And if someone else does it, it's a bonus, right? Someone else comes in and makes it But they're not going to, let me fucking tell you, on the indie film, it's not happening. It's got to be you or it's going to be no one. And the other thing I'll say too is you get one first impression with people and you don't want to send your first cut without, again, like what do you need to tell the story? Like Mm -hmm. you need the sound effects. You need to have some kind of music temp score cut in you need to have these moments you need it to be feeling like a fucking movie as best as you can get it because people aren't even people work in industry creative people they're not gonna be able to watch your dry fucking bare long ass cut with no pizzazz and be able to see your vision like you have mm-hmm. to put your fucking vision get in like the best editors too working in sound you know i've worked with tons of editors and they're really like the second in command when it comes to post-production right behind the director mm-hmm. um but they they're not just editing the film they're cutting in sound effects they're cutting in a temp score or the you know the music editor too, too but like they're doing all this shit and so when you finally when you get the first cut of the film as a sound editor um as a colorist whatever there is already a rough pass done and then of course you know someone who's better ideally comes in and makes it fucking 
brilliant, but like you got to get it to at least a, a an eighty five. You know, like you got to get mm-hmm. a, get it to the B, and then someone else comes in and takes it to the A A plus level. You know, mm-hmm. so so right. And and speaking of which, your cast like the, incredible. You know, Isabel uh, Furman, absolutely amazing. Amy Forsyth, uh, the, the whole cast. I love them. I really believed that world they were in. How do you work with the actors then? How, because like you say, you hadn't necessarily worked with actors yet, apart from doing ADR sessions and directing them that way, or at least uh, discussing with them what the director wanted. Here you are now dealing with a very dramatic, very heartfelt, emotional scenes. How did you dive into working with actors as, you know, the talent that you had on board with Isabel, Amy and uh, Delone as well? Well, for the, the first week being Water Week, honestly, it was survival and there was so much logistical okay. clusterfuck that, I, you know, I would look at the monitor. Isabel fucking killed it. She come, she had the character. She had the command of the character. They were both like, I, I could just, I'm like, okay, great. You know, just do it. Leave it. I would shout things. I had a, a blow horn and a walkie and screaming myself hoarse, like, do it. Felt like a director with a blow horn. There's like no, <laughs> no time to like, to, to be precious or whatever or be mm-hmm. think there wasn't time to think it was just like very kind of reactive so I don't even know like what but then when it came time to switch to the dialogue scenes I was really nervous because I, I don't know I was like I don't know you don't want to give them too much you don't want to feed their lines but I think um, quickly the thing that I've learned picked uh, just learned the thing about directing is that you, you just have to have clearly what you want and communicate it clearly and that people actually do want boundaries you know I think that this exists in romance and friendship and life and work whatever people tend to think like oh you know no whatever you want wherever you want to eat like it's fine that's the fucking worst thing ever yeah. like give people options give them the boundaries people like one if it's like with with a dog and i joked as well i'm not trying to compare mm-hmm. you to a dog but it's like me myself included like i want a dog wants to know that there is someone in command and that they can relax otherwise you, you get this neurotic mess all over the fucking place that they want to know mm-hmm. where is their yard what are they protecting where are they allowed to play in um, and with, you know, with your crew, with your actors, you know, anyone working with me too, you have to clearly communicate. This is my vision. This is what I want. Allow people to all, you know, obviously bring their own perspective in, but you know, knowing the characters so well and the motivation and where everything's coming from, I was able to really just talk to them, talk to them through about what's happening. And then once the kind of first day jitters wore off of the awkwardness of doing that, it became pretty easy and it's fun and, and blocking is fun. Like that's something as a director, I hadn't really thought about much i did the i did the i watched a master class with ron howard actually um, yes i watched that one as well it's great isn't it yeah that really blocking lesson yeah. that he does was really eye-opening to me and that was something in the back of my head constantly like how do we i think a lot of the the first time films you, you get the two people sitting in a room just st- looking at each other talking like how do we spice this up you know like mm-hmm. what can we add here so that became kind of a fun challenge and, and something i also was not fully anticipating it's like if you have two people like you and i are talking but there's five of the other supporting actors are standing behind you like you gotta give them something to do mm-hmm. like oh, yep. what the fuck are they doing and they all look at you and like what am i doing and then you're like oh fuck okay yeah and you got to come <laughs> up with shit but that's yeah. the fun part um mm-hmm. and i think yeah i mean i think working with actors knowing clearly the character having talked about it having already and every day before set i would go into the makeup trailer and talk to the actors whoever was going for that day and talk to them about the scenes coming up if they had any questions um at lunch i would maybe go into their trailer and then we would discuss and that's how it, it kind of went i think it's just conversations and making sure you're on the same page and um being confident enough to say no to something when you're clearly like i want to do it this way but also having the sort of um openness to if someone has an idea like and it sounds good like fucking let's try it um mm. and that that's it's not easy i mean it's hard to to tell i think it's actually harder to tell someone no let's mm-hmm. do it my way than it is to say yeah let's try it your way quite frankly mm-hmm. Yeah, but sometimes the director, time-wise, usually you have to go, that's really great. I'm going to go with this direction for now. Thank you. It is tough because you've got to keep saying that to people as well. They're coming up with ideas and you don't want to put them down with their great ideas or whatever. But sometimes, you know, you plan this for a long time and there's reasons for it. It sounds like it was a difficult shoot, but also that you loved it, right? I mean, in terms of now looking back. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was great it was fucking exhausting i mean the Indeed. hardest days for me we shot six days a week were, was the quote-unquote day off because you lose momentum i honestly would have mm. rather shot 24 days straight without taking a break but the days off were really rough starting the next day i would edit on the days off but um wow. 
No, it, it was, especially after the initial couple days went down. It is really magical. It is in so much of filmmaking, too. I mean, you you write a film three times when you write it, when you direct it, when you edit it. And um, a lot of a lot of discoveries happening on the day. And uh, yeah, but I, I was not again, again, like after last year, too, I was not ready to direct a film again, probably until like four months ago. I was like, imagine how am I going to fucking ever do this again? I'm so dead. Uh, it took mm -hmm. me a year and a half to recover. So now I, I get why directors aren't doing films once a year. Some crazy ones are, but holy fuck. Rid Ridley Scott and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, damn, yeah. He's like 82. Like he's 82. fucking killing it. I know. But again, he's got the team around him to make him his life a bit easier. I think on independent films, sometimes you have a team True. around you, but you've kind of got to do a lot more than, you know, he's not doing the sound mix. He's not doing the, you know, editing necessarily. He'll, so it's a different world, but I totally get it. You can get absolutely knackered by doing this job. It, it kills you, especially during the pandemic when you, you don't know what's going to happen with the film. Thankfully, you know, you've been nominated for the Spirit Awards. You won at Tribeca Film Festival as well with this movie. Now it's coming out. It's getting the great press that it is, um, great reviews. And uh, like I say, I, I hope that you continue. Like I know it sounds like you are, but... For someone like me seeing this work, it's hugely inspiring. I hope the people listening now go, yeah, yeah, okay, that's, I can do it too. Because that's what it's about, you know, um, getting out there and doing something you believe in and getting it done. And it, it's really stunning. It's a stunning debut. You should be very proud of it. I am now, you know, I, I felt yeah. it was, yeah. it was, I didn't feel really good about it until like a week before all the festivals. It was like that 11th right. hour thing, but no, it's, it's great. And yeah, I do want to say, I mean, you literally it, it, like the thing too, that I think is important to remember anyone coming up and feeling like whatever, like nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. This is the other thing that I picked up in my first career in sound is like, nobody knows the thing that separates you and being like, puts you in the big chair is like you, the problems are coming. Like it's just how you deal with them and just surviving. And the other thing that I learned too is if you freak out, if the editor, it's always the editor. I fucking love editors; they're so neurotic. But I was like, <laughs> "Where's that sound? Like I had to cut a dog bark." Ugh. And early when I was starting, <laughs> I used to always freak out, like, "Oh my god!" Oh, blah, blah, blah. And everyone starts panicking, and it's fucking contagious. But the thing that I learned, <laughs> if someone's like, "Hey, where's blah blah blah?" and you know, like, "Oh my god, I've made a horrible fucking mistake. Like this is mm -hmm. really really bad." If you just go, "Oh yeah yeah," just give me five minutes. I, I, I'll get that. Like just make it fucking so nonchalant and you walk out the room and then you have an anxiety attack in the privacy of your own room mm -hmm. it's fine like yeah. just fucking fake it till you make it totally. ask questions don't pretend yeah. like you know everything and just re recognize that every nobody knows what the fuck they're doing it's just like being an adult like we grow up we're like oh our parents had no fucking idea not really mm -hmm. same thing yeah. just but same uh, thing. filmmaking you know yeah it's like you're a swan Beautiful on the outside, graceful, floating along. Underneath your feet again. Paddling <laughs> away. Like you know, my crazy. head thought you were going to go to like guts and like blood, and that's where my fucking head is. That's went, where your head's so. at. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. <laughs> my first film, the same. I, I love that. That's so cool. Um, and then you've got great um, release for it as well. You know, you've got the, again, during that time of going, can I get this movie out? Obviously, your team are working hard to get that distributed for you as well. Did you have plans or did your team already have plans in place to get the movie shown? around no i mean it's the indie route of like we did not have a distributor we we made the film um the sort of question of what festival are we if we're going to get into one of the kind of the big ones you know if you don't get into mm -hmm. tiff uh sundance Tribeca, or south by then it's like or to tell you right it's like well then what's the play here so one that the step was getting it into Tribeca, which that was fucking, I, I cried honestly when, when they, I t was told New Year's, New Year's Day 2020 that we had been accepted. And I was like, I fucking bawled because it was this huge weight. Even now I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to cry. Mm. It's this huge fucking weight off. And then at that point, like I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about anything beyond that. Like that to me was all we needed. And then to win at Tribeca was, you know, a big thing. And I kind of mm. used that momentum to, to get, some buzz and, and Zach again my manager now he transitioned into to management um, using mm -hmm. that to kind of like send out we, and we got our first good reviews and they took he took those and sort of reached out to the, the agencies and, and got a bunch of the, the agencies like wanting to to meet with me to, to sign me and so was doing the whole um, you know talking to all the different agencies doing those the, the zooms with like eight people on the fucking yeah. call and they're all trying oh, to tell God. you why you're amazing and why you should come work with them and God you're a fucking genius you know it's really 
good for the it's good for the self-esteem. Good for the soul after the pain probably, you've been through. Yeah, probably yeah. not good for the ego, but good for the self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so then, yeah, that happened. I signed with, with CAA. And, and then at that point, uh, I think we found a sales agent. The, the producers did some point somehow. I don't know exactly all the shit, but basically sending the film out and saying like, hey, we are at Rebecca. We got these, here's good reviews. We got these awards. And it's tough because this isn't a horror film. Like this is horror, you know, sells, but this is like a dark psychological thing no quote-unquote stars attached and um there's also mm -hmm. a pandemic and like it's like people are a little weird about buying things and um but we got uh we, we sent it out and then got a couple offers and you know went with ifc that was decided i think in august of 2021 so finished the film i don't know November the the mix final mix November 2020 it was accepted to Rebecca January 1st 2021 um you know Rebecca was June and then I signed with CAA July August IFC took the film um mm -hmm. and then it came out in uh December so you know it's just like sending the, this whole fucking game this whole filmmaking thing is really frustrating a lot because a lot of it is out of your hands like I, you know, I'm a control freak. We've just established that this the whole interview. But like when once you send it to people, you're just waiting for them to look at it. You're waiting for them to read. You're waiting for and you're also it's this whole penguin on the iceberg thing. Like no one wants to be the first penguin to jump. You know, once yes. one penguin's like, yeah, let's fucking go. And they, and they don't get just killed, you know, then everyone else jumps in. And then so it's just this like slow momentum thing. Um, and it feels never fucking ending. And it feels just uh exhausting but um you know it, mm -hmm. it works it's just a lot of hurry up and wait and just like putting it out there and you better have your own shit to work on uh in the meantime because fuck you know yeah it's it's the hardest and people do think it's kind of oh well you've had a bit of success or whatever oh it'd be easier for you no 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 it's really hard filmmaking is really difficult um and even with the film as great as yours you've proved today you know how difficult it was to make it how difficult it was during that time the the mental health strain on you as well during that whole time and saying god it and taking a year and a half to say i want to make another film you know that's a huge uh mental strain on your body and your brain and there's no question about it it's difficult it's really difficult. But I am excited to see what you do next, uh, as I imagine many people are, um, especially your new agents now. Looking forward to that next draft. <laughs> yeah, they sure are. Literally probably going to be sending it in the next couple hours. So <gasps> How exciting. I know, trying to, trying to get the ball rolling. And thank you so much. You've given so much amazing advice. Normally at the end, I go, I'll give us some advice for someone coming through, but you've just given so much. I was like, well, uh, yeah, you kind of absolutely nailed that. Um, thank you. Honestly, so much, Lauren Hadaway, for joining us. This has honestly been incredible. Um, real joy and so much information for our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Fun talk beyond the, the usual um, talking points. So it's fun. Yeah, pleasure. Uh, the Novice is out now. Do go watch it. Links to that will be in the show notes. And remember, you can go out there and make your film. You can make it happen, whether it's in thunder, lightning, or, or in rain, just like uh, Lauren did with The Novice. And if you are lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty send the elevator back down uh, join us next Tuesday as always thank you very much Lauren for joining us thank you take care everyone we will see you on the other side bye bye the filmmakers podcast exists thanks to your support if you'd like to ensure that we can keep on exploring the filmmaking world with you subscribe to our patreon 